0: This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. Well,
1: today we're going to talk about the Colossians passage, the epistle reading, chapter 3, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11. Now, The first word there says if, but what that, in the context of the passage, what that if means is actually since. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Spurgeon says, set your affection on things above, not on things things on the earth. Call it the keystone of the arch of Christianity. For if that fact could be disproved, the whole fabric of the gospel would fall to the ground. If Jesus Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. You are yet in your sins. If Christ is not risen, then they who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. As we ourselves, in missing so glorious a hope as that of the resurrection, are of all men the most miserable because of the great importance of his resurrection. Our Lord was pleased to give many infallible proofs of it by appearing again and again in the midst of his followers. So we have to keep in mind that we have been raised with Christ That means we have new life. And we're now then to follow through with those instructions. Because it says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things that are above, not on that things that are on the earth. Seek and set. Now, what that actually is sort of like is set your minds... On things that are above. When you come to Christ, it's like changing the radio station on your dial. The old life was listening to whatever your least favorite music is, fill in the blank. Your new life is like classical music that plays Bach and Mozart all the time. The beautiful melodies, you know, chamber music and all of that. It's that radical of a difference. And so what we have to do when we come to Christ is retune or let him retune our minds up here so we will be receptive to the new message of the gospel. Those new songs that we're going to have pouring into our hearts instead of the stuff from the world. Now, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are earth, and seek the things that are above. This is like a total reworking of our mindset. And last night, pondering this passage, I, the best illustration I could come up with was, it's sort of like a player, a baseball player that's been traded to another team. And I heard a joke one time. It says that God or Jesus on His team, He traded Judas to the demons for Paul. How radical of a difference this is! And so, think about that. If you've been traded from one team to another. You may go play in the same ballparks, but your mind is now with your new team. You're no longer thinking about having been part of that other team. All of your efforts are now in tune with and geared towards helping your new team win. It's a complete sea change, as it were. We are now different because we're supposed to focus on Jesus and not be obsessed with the things of the world. Verse three, again, our life is hidden away with Christ. This statement that the believer died with Christ in the past and continues to live with Christ in the present suggests three thoughts. Our life draws nourishment from the secret springs of heaven. Our life is as safe as a deposit locked in a bank vault. Our life is one with Christ who is in the bosom of the Father. The Greek tense is simply a powerful metaphor for the fact that when they believed in Christ in baptism they were putting their previous way of life to death, way of life to death and having it buried out of sight. Consequently, it should no longer be a factor in their new way of life. And that's where that illustration of a player being traded to another team comes in. You're no longer with that previous team, you're with your new team. And all of your efforts and your energies are now directed towards helping your new team win, even though you may like or remember fondly some of the stuff from your previous team. And that too is a problem when we come to Christ, isn't it? When we come to Christ and we have this new life, we look back and we think, because especially when we have difficulties and trials, we look back and think, oh, how good my life was back then. I didn't have to do any of these things. It was so much better. Our flesh is tempted to try to get us to believe that, right? Trying to tempt us to go back to our previous way of life because the memory is very selective, at least your conscious memory. You will sanitize the memory and purge it of all the bad stuff you remember from the past and remember all the happy times. So you're likely to say, things were so much better back then. What have I done? You know, I thought being a Christian was going to be a blessing. And so we're tempted to look back fondly. But, now, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Right? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, etc. The verb in that passage is the verb necrosate. It means... Make dead. In other words, your old way of life is crucified. It's dead. It's put away. You no longer think about it. You no longer go back to that. You're you're supposed to have a complete reworking of your circuitry up here to where now you're thinking Jesus-related thoughts. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now, necrosate, that's where we get the English word like necromancy. Anybody hear that? It's where you try to communicate with the dead and ask them for their advice. But necro means death. And so the verb Paul used there was a very strong verb. Make it dead, your previous way of life. Crucify it. Get rid of it. It's no longer your priority. You are to change your way of thinking, period. And you have to work with and work with Christ in that. See, he's going to be working on you, changing you, but there has to be a little bit of cooperation on our part in that, allowing him to do the work. It's sort of like if you have a cleaning crew or a cleaning lady coming to your house or your apartment once a week, let them do their job and get out of their way. And that's what we need to do when we turn our lives over to Christ. Get out of his way and let him fine-tune us. Now you say, well, how does that work? I mean, does that mean I just don't do anything? No, not at all. It means you make a few conscious choices that you're going to do better. You're going to change. You're going to let the change happen. And you're going to not go back to the old way of thinking. Okay, so a stronger way to say this is you're to starve those desires that you once had. The earth is fleshly. And remember, that doesn't mean you're necessarily your anatomy. It means your pre-Christ existence. So, we're now supposed to take our attention and focus on our new way of life in Jesus. Now, Paul comes up and gives us a list of things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. How is covetousness idolatry? It's when you want someone else's stuff and that becomes your priority in your thinking. You start thinking, I want what they have so badly, that supplants the place of Christ in your life. You start thinking, boy, I wish I was that. I wish I had that. I wish I had what they have. And so that's idolatry because you're now elevating that thing into the place where you're thinking that thing will make you happy when you're supposed to walk with Christ and let him be your comfort and let him be your source of encouragement. Number seven, in these you once walked when you were living in them. That means we used to be that way. Put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. If you take note, that list of things in verse 5, those are all fleshly. The things that are in verse 7 are things we do with our mouth. We know how powerful our words are, don't we? And what you say, that's the reason that that scene in the Bible about Jacob and Esau getting the blessing, that's the reason that's so important. It's because Esau, too late, realized that he messed up and he gave up his opportunity to have his birthright and he missed the blessing too because that blessing from the father at that time was like an utterance from God himself. Maybe that's overdoing it just a little bit, but getting the blessing was important because he wanted his father to speak these wonderful things over his life. That's how powerful our words are. And if you want to bless somebody, encourage them. If you want to bless somebody, lift them up. Don't tear them down with your words. There's no cosmic checklist where you go down there and go down the list and say, okay, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and this. Bless them. Lift them up. You're not supposed to have that check sheet, you know, how many times they messed up in a day. Well, they said something wrong here. Click. They said something wrong here. Click. They dropped my favorite bowl. Click. You know, and so this person's out of the blessing now because they made too many mistakes this day. That's not how this works. So... And we need to thank God for that. Now, accordingly, you look at this list of things in both verses 5 and 7, and you come to the conclusion that it's not an exhaustive list. There are other things that relate to that. And remember, the things in verse 7 are things of the tongue. Remember what James wrote about the tongue, how powerful the tongue is. You have the power to lift somebody up or you have the power to tear them down with your words. So that's why we need to submit our life and our tongue to Jesus. That's also why, think about it, when Isaiah got that branding iron or the hot coal from the fire and it touched his lips and cleansed him, that's an illustration of that. All the impurities were burned off. And from that point on, Isaiah would speak only the words of the Lord. His speech was being purified. So we kind of have to have the Lord do that with us too. Now, verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. It is almost impossible to believe somebody when they lie to you all the time or frequently more often than not, they tell you something that's not true. Don't you usually get a little suspicious of that person after a while, thinking, well, are they telling me the truth or not? I don't know. So we're not supposed to lie to one another. That Being truthful builds confidence in that other person. You realize after a while that you can trust what they have to say. If you lie a lot, people will not trust you. They won't believe anything you have to say. They'll say, mm, I know what he said, but here's what usually happens. And they'll kind of write you off, possibly. Now, the new self is renewed after the image of our Creator. You know what? That means when our, our new lives are supposed to reflect Jesus to the world. We're supposed to re- reflect his holy character to the world. People should be able to look at us and see a reflection of Jesus in us, they should actually be able to look at you and think, wow, what a guy, what a girl, what a woman, awesome. You can believe them, you can trust them, you can trust your life with them because they see that much of Christ in you. Now, we are also now one in Christ. Paul finishes up here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. He's all we need to keep going faithfully and successfully in this life. Sometimes there will be a bump in the road, right? Mm -hmm. Some people have lots of potholes in their pathway. There's this cartoon I've seen on the Internet that says, my view of life, and it's got this flat line going to this paradise with palm trees and an oasis. Then there's Jesus' thought. And it goes up here, there's a ditch with rocks in it. He goes up, there's this huge mountain to climb. It goes, it keeps going, and then there's a fire in the building, you know, and you keep going. God's plan is different, but he and he doesn't ever promise that we will be worry free. Remember what his promise is that he will be with us while we're doing it. Remember in the fiery furnace? That fourth person in there, Jesus was with them in the fiery furnace. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. Jesus is there. He's going to help us through. Remember when the boat was tossing and turning and the disciples were going, Jesus, we're all going to die. He said, peace be still. And he looked at them and said, don't you guys have any faith? And at that moment, they probably should have answered honestly, uh, No. And that's the way it is in our lives too. Sometimes we go through all these difficult times and sometimes it seems like that difficulty will never go away. And you go to God saying, God, why me? Spurgeon tells us we need to ask God another question. Why not me? Because if Jesus had to go to the cross, have a crown of thorns shoved down on his head, having those thorns pierced the skull, if he had to be beaten with a whip and crucified, how can we honestly ask God to give us any less than that? Because if the Son of God, God in the flesh, endured all of that for us, and he did, we should not expect to have a life of smooth sailing. Didn't Job say, can we accept only the good from the Lord and not the bad? We have to be willing to walk through those storms or sail through them, walk through the fires, and know that he's with us and that he will protect us along the way. He is our protector and our defender. He's going to see to it that we do make it to the other side if we don't give up. How many times recently have we talked about not giving up? Well, that's true. Don't give up. Never give up. And that's basically what Paul's telling the Colossians here. Yes, those false teachers are there. Yes, the heretics are among you. But guess what, folks, Paul says, don't listen to them. Here's here's what I'm wanting you to do because Jesus told me and I remember seeing Jesus. Think about that. Paul could actually tell them that he had an actual vision of Jesus. Now, we all do not have that same luxury of having a view of Jesus, do we? But we know that he's there. And that's how we can have the confidence to press on and never give up. And remember, we're all in this together, right? So we can need to be able to also count on one another for help and encouragement in those times when we're going through the difficulties. And we need to be faithful to that, encouraging one another, lifting up one another. Remember the part today about how your words are powerful? A right word, a right sentence at the right time can mean everything to somebody. Amen. So let's remember we're all in this together. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthshore.podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Powerful Living, care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at christthekingnorthshore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your power for living.